Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Thursday, May 7th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, and I'm joined, as always, by Paul Hoynes, our Tribe beat writer, and uh, today's guest, Doug Lamaris, down uh, in Columbus, our columnist here on Cleveland.com. Uh, we always have fun when Doug joins the show, and Hoynesy, uh, it, it's, it's just fun to sort of bounce things off of, of Doug and get his perspective on, on what's going on, and we actually have stuff to talk about this time. We're, 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 we're going back to work on, on June 10th, apparently. Well, that's the Indians' plan, anyways. I'm not sure if it's Major League Baseball's plan, but uh, you know, I think they, I, you know, I, I, they, they, I think they they needed a target date. They needed something to motivate themselves to say, okay, you know, let's we've got to start preparing like spring training is starts on June 10th. So you know, you got to start ramping up your workouts to the players. And uh, if we have to adjust, we'll adjust from there. But, um, you know, let, let's go with that right now. And uh, I think the interesting thing is, to me, is how, how are they going to make this work if, if they do indeed have spring training at Progressive Field? Yeah, and it, it opens up a whole world of possibilities and, and sort of options and whatnot. Uh, Doug, I, I got I to gotta say – the the idea does it does it feel like this is pushing too fast or is there what, what's what's your per- perception of this idea that uh, you know not just the Indians now but a lot of teams across Major League Baseball are telling their players you know get ready we're we're coming back maybe for spring training part two in mid June. Yeah, I like I like dates. I like plans. I mean, I think for all of us to just sit sort of in like a netherworld of of shoulder shrugging um, isn't productive. And so you can't be hellbent on it. It can't be June 10th or bust like nothing's going to stop us. But, you know, as everything opens up, we don't none of us know what the effect is going to be. But I like optimistic planning. So I'm in favor of it. Now, if they get there and it's it's actually nuts to do it because there's none of the things in place that need to be in place for it to be safe. Then you got to pull back. But like, I, you know, I, I like it. I mean, let's, cause like you said, the, the thing that's, that would be from a sports perspective, very unfortunate in all this is if any sport that comes back does so in some kind of rushed fashion, that guys are getting hurt, you know, guys are blowing out yeah. arms. The NBA comes back and guys are, blowing out their knees and stuff like in foot, like you have to let high level athletes prepare. So I like it. Well, and everybody's sort of, uh, I, there was an article uh, this morning by Jeff Passan from ESPN uh, pointing out uh, several times throughout the article, everybody's taking great pains to point out that it's merely a proposal right now that sometime within the next week, this proposal is going to go from the league to the players association 
and they're going to have to, you know, do their revisions on it. The players association will, and there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Uh, they have to get government and health officials on board with everything that's going on. So, uh, everybody's being very cautious as they're talking about this, but still it's that, that sort of glimmer of hope, I guess, to, to give people that, Hey, uh, the, the last, you know, two, three months of sitting around your house, isn't going to be the way it's going to be all summer. Hope we need hope. <laughs> I mean, like not to be, and I've said it all along. I mean, I think, you know, there's an economic angle to all of this, but I think there is a, a hopeful, maybe patriotic isn't the right word, but there are certain things that will really be signals to the country. And again, every time I talk about this, we all talk about it. There's a caveat of as long as it's safe, safe first. If it's not safe, you can't do it. But if you can make it safe, then yeah, I, baseball really matters. And it really, it will, if it can happen, it will be a great signal to everybody. Well, have, have either of you guys caught any of the Korean baseball league games that have been broadcast on ESPN? When Doug sits there and says, you know, baseball really matters, it, it, it's, it's evident because people on Twitter, at least, and, and as I'm sitting here uh, up late at night watching some of these games or up early in the morning, uh, people are dying for real live games in baseball. It's also kind of interesting to see what it could be like if Major League Baseball teams are playing in front of empty, empty stadiums. This is this sort of Korean baseball phenomenon that's, that's sort of, in a, in a small way, gripping through some of these uh, um, Major League Baseball fans. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think the MLB teams are definitely watching this, you know, the, watching the Korean Baseball League and trying to uh, get a handle on what safety measures they, they have and what protocols are in place, how the, you know, how the players react playing in front of empty, empty ballparks. Are they playing music? Is the scoreboard going? You know, all the uh, accoutrements of, of a big league game. Uh, so it's going to be uh, – I think that's, that's uh, interesting. Uh, so I, mean, I know they're watching that. And, um, you know, I think – like Doug says, I mean, if, if they can do it, if they can pull this off safely and, uh, you, know, public, you know, the public health is, is not in jeopardy and the players' health isn't in jeopardy, you know, I think uh, it's a good thing. It's, it's, and, if, and if not, you, you readjust and you recalculate. I don't think – you know, I've heard that August 1st is a drop-dead date, but I, I don't know if there really isn't a, a drop-dead date right now. I mean, the, the way a lot of people are thinking, I mean, if, it, if this doesn't work, maybe like we've talked before, Joe, maybe they have an 80-game, you know, like it's, it's an NCAA, you know, a March Madness type thing. Or, you know, but I think one way or the other – we're going to see some baseball this year. I just don't know what form it's going to be. Right. And you, you talk about forms. We we've gone from, you know, isolating all of major league baseball, all the teams in Arizona uh, as a proposal, as a plan that was floated out there to having everybody back in their home parks now. And how did, how did things go from being just so drastically different in a, in a couple of months? It's, I guess it's just the nature of, you know, not having been in the situation before and it, it you know, working through and, throwing out proposals and plans things evolve over you know even just the last couple of months right yeah I don't think the players wanted to be isolated in Arizona all 30 teams away from their families or you know how, how you how you work the family situation I think that you know ideally from a medical standpoint that's probably the safest way to do it I mean you keep all 30 teams together you limit travel you know you can 
monitor the testing. But, you know, just from the blowback they got from the players, I didn't, I don't think that that plan kind of fell by the wayside. Well, Doug, you wouldn't want to go spend four months in, in Arizona covering a team, you know, just locked up in a hotel room, going back and forth between the, the park and the, uh, the, the hotel. I, I would not want to do it, but I would happy. I would be happy to send Hoinsey to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I'm not I, doing it. We're, we're thinking the right. Hey, hey, Hoins, Hoins is a, is is the veteran. He knows how to how to manipulate that kind of thing. Just hey, you know, ask me when I'm I'm going to Texas in the middle of June for year to, <laughs> to cover games in the in uh, the 110 degree heat. So yeah, it it. it it did not sound like the ideal situation, although it did sound kind of fun. It was like, kind of like Pauly Shore and Biodome. Everything's all in one place, and you don't, you don't have to leave. Uh, you just have to watch out for the, the wacky neighbors, I guess. The, the, I'm curious about this um, from the standpoint of sort of what you guys have brought up a couple times. It's like everybody's working together on this to figure it out, right? That, mm-hmm. that you know, obviously I deal with a lot of the college football stuff and in college, in college sports, the players don't have a voice. It's, it's the people in charge saying, this is what we're going to do. When we think about this guys, do you think this could be, uh, could there be residual benefits with this? Because the owners and the commissioner's office and the players association has to work together so carefully on this, right? Because this is, these are big stakes, right? Usually they're just fighting about money. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money at stake here, but there's the safety of the people involved in the game here. And I just don't know. When you deal with big problems sometimes and you trust each other and you work together, um, I, if baseball can sort of figure this out, I think it would be like a great credit to everybody involved that they did work together. And then maybe the next time they're fighting over the slices of the revenue pie – maybe they won't fight as much because they figured out a way to bring baseball back in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Joe, you're already shaking your head. Like, no, nope, they're going to fight about money. No, they're going to fight about gonna, okay. historically. They're going to fight about money. That's what they're going to do. But and, we've never had this before that we've never right, had this, but we're are we've already gotten a sense. We've gotten a sense in talking to some of these players that it's almost like they, the the health risks and they're the ones taking on all the risk. Adam Plutko said it to us last week when we talked to him. The the players are the ones inherently taking on all the risk when it comes to health with this. So you know, set aside all the money and, and whatnot. I don't know if the players as a whole think that they're being you know treated fairly in all this. If, if they do go back, if they are, it's almost like they're being forced to go back. And, well, and, and play. I think yeah, I think Joe the. You know, what those guys are saying, what Plutko was saying, you know, you know, we're taking the inherent risk. We're, we're, we're going back to play, and here the owners are coming back at us after we had an agreement, and they want us to take even a, another pay cut. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the uh, crux of the matter. And, okay. and, Doug, I think, you know, I thought like you thought. You know, I thought this is a great thing. You know, they came up with those propos- that, that deal at the end of March – you know, we're, we're going to give the players 170 million, you know, we're, we're going to, uh, you know, um, you know, there was a bunch of things in there that made a lot of sense. And it seemed like there was a lot of cooperation between the association and, and the owners. And then all of a sudden the owners come back at them saying, well, you got to take, you're going to, you're going to have to take more of a cut if we're playing in front of empty stadiums. And, you know, so th- there's that, that little, there's that kind of 
you know, sniping at each other. We still haven't figured out how that's going to end up. But uh, in the long run, you know, with the basic agreement, you know, expiring in 2021, uh, I think, you know, this more than opens the lines, lines of communication. So this is, this is a good place to start. And, and, and they both want to play. They both need to play. The owners need the television money. The players need to play to, uh, you know, to get paid this year. Right. And, uh, and so I think there, on some level, the cooperation, it, it's a good thing. But, and, and both sides know that this is not the time to be fighting over money when, you know, we've got close to 70, 74,000 people dying of this disease in the whole country, struggling to, to come back or open up or not open up. Um, I think it would be a terrible, terrible look, bad yeah. look, you know, nationally for, that, for this to become a sore spot and, and prevent baseball from coming back. The, the optics of it are, are definitely, you know, there, just like, like you said, would, would, would be real bad. Uh, the idea that money could hold up this sort of proposal moving forward would, would be awful. But, again, there, there is an agreement in place. Like you said, the, the, the arrangement that was agreed upon in, in March says that if there is no baseball, the players don't get paid. So – that's a pretty clear indication that if there's an opportunity for baseball to be played, they're going to play they're, The players are going to play regardless because they, they have to get something they're not going to go a whole year without getting any money. Um, it's just how much is going to, how much is it going to financially ruin the, the game? And, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, uh, cry over the, the owners, the owners, you know, losing out on any revenue, but if it means teams have to like lay off hundreds of employees, that's, that's also, you know, not a, not a great thing moving forward. Uh, let's, uh, you know, I guess the idea that we're not going to be in Arizona in a biodome, uh, sort of in a bubble protected, it, it does, Eliminate the possibility of all of baseball being attacked by giant Japanese murder hornets, right, Doug? <laughs> As we were talking before we came on the air, uh, the uh -huh. the murder hornets will not be attacking Major League Baseball. As uh, as we've seen, uh, they're, they're apparently they've touched down in the United States, in Washington, and in parts of Canada as well. I watched a video of a praying mantis eating a murder hornet, and it made me feel happy. I hate. Praying mantises, they, they freak me out. Yeah. They're like little mini robot insects. Like I, I think they're, they're like sent from another planet. They look like half alien, half robot. I hate a praying mantis. But when I watched that praying mantis grab that murder hornet and then he ate, he or she, right? I think the female praying mantis. I think they're free, the females, yeah. Are, are more vicious. The praying mantis grabbed the murder hornet, and while the murder hornet was still alive, the praying mantis ate its head, <laughs> and it was, like, still kicking. And the praying mantis is, like, 80% of the way through the head. I'm like, how can this murder hornet still be kicking? It brought me joy to watch the suffering of this murder hornet, and then Noga comes in and is like, well, I've got a murder hornet story for you. And then I felt terrible about it again well, i'm no, just gonna get a whole bunch of praying mantises and put them on my porch and let them build a wall to protect me from them these things are like three inches big they're they're enormous and they're apparently 
I watched a video of this guy who let himself get stung by a Japanese murder hornet. And his arm swelled up to like double the size of, of what it, it was really freaky. And he's laying on the ground, rolling around screaming and saying that the venom and the pain is just like more intense than anything he's ever had before. But this is also a guy who has a whole series of videos where he gets stung by insects. So, um, <laughs> you know, Hoinsey, uh, have you, have you heard about, uh, the murder hornets? Or are you, are you I heard about the murder hornets, but what, what happens when the murder hornets run into the killer bees? Well, they're killing all, they're eating all the bees. That's the problem. The Japanese oh, yeah. murder hornets are, are destroying all the bees and if they eat all the honeybees. Then we're in trouble, right? Oh, uh -oh. We, we've gone from, we've gone from baseball, uh, you know, uh, squabbling over money to now I'm incredibly afraid of murder hornets and in fear for the, the honeybee population. Uh, I, just, Hey, just touching one more time on this idea of, uh, of dates and, and proposals and coming back. Uh, who knew that, uh, you know, forget Rosenthal, forget Jeff Passan, forget the, uh, the national guy, the Nightingale, the guys who were all tuned in, uh, you know, baseball wise. Uh, it's Trevor Plouffe who, who broke this big uh, story over the, over the weekend sort of with the, the dates. He, he tweeted a couple of times uh, about baseball coming back on July 1st as being opening day and, and the, uh, the June 10th, uh, uh, you know, spring training date. Uh, this is a guy who could uh, hardly ever break 250 in his career batting average, and he's out there breaking stories uh, ahead of uh, uh, these these reporters. Uh, it's a, it's a wonderful world we live in when uh, ex baseball players can just tweet anything out of their sort of neck, and uh, uh, it turns out to be true. It's it's the best. It's the most it, it, the most incredible baseball news we've had in, in the last you know 60 days. They've got Trevor, the connections. Trevor Plouffe. Plouffe. Trevor Plouffe. Third um, baseman for the Minnesota Twins. Yes, and I believe Phil Hughes also uh, uh, another former uh, uh, baseball uh, pitcher. He, he, you know, had this information as well. So, so do you guys think it's going to happen? If you had to bet right now, you think this is like again? We don't know, but all anybody's doing on any of this stuff is speculating. You think this plan could, on this path could be what happens? I, I think it's feasible. Yeah, I think uh, it could. You know, I think it all depends. You know, just what the virus does. I think you know. Does it? Does it? Does this? Does it continue to flatten out, or does it? You know, does it spike again? I mean, I, I think that's a, a the the a big big concern. Well, here's a question: Do does the league? You know, the schedule is still sort of up, and we haven't heard anything about a schedule yet, and what that would look like, or who the Indians or any other team would be playing. But would they be better off playing sort of a shortened? 80 game or you know whatever schedule to try to be done before November before everybody's indoors all the time and you know we got a chance of a second outbreak of this uh you know would it be better to do something more compact or to try and play as long and as many games as they can oh, that's a good question i um i think from from an indian's point of view just from a selfish point of view they probably i think they would they would want a shorter probably a shorter, you know, uh, um, season, I think their pitching would come into play, would be able to, you know, have a, have a, a pretty good, a strong fact, you know, be a, it could really help them over, over a short season now, you know, but it seems like both sides want to play as many games as they can to get for the revenue. Right. Yeah. I think you'd have to have, I think you're better off having a plan that, um, 
I mean, you want to maximize what Hoynes just said. The most games you can get for the revenue, but you have to also, I think, assume that like not everything's going to go perfect right. once you do start up again. And so, um, you know, if I were baseball, I would try. To, I would try to say, listen, this is our plan. This is our whatever sixty-five game plan. This is our seventy-game plan. Maybe we're going to start the playoffs earlier than usual, but um, I, I think you've. You've got a plan. You've got a plan, but I, I, you can't get too ambitious either, right? That I think the, 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 and this is just for all of us in life. Any assumption that like, hey, it's coming back and everything's going to be fine, I think is you want to have optimism, but you've also got to be realistic and like there are going to be bumps and there are going to be, you know, up and down parts of of how we come back to normal quote normal life on this. So for baseball to think like, Hey, yeah, we'll start now and squeeze in a 120 game schedule and play until November. I would not plan on that. I think that would be nuts. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to have Doug on this, uh, uh, this edition of the podcast and then talk to him this week, uh, the cultural phenomenon that's been sweeping across the nation as we've been in isolation and every Sunday sort of, setting our, uh, our weeks around getting ready to watch this uh, Michael Jordan documentary on ESPN. Uh, it's generated a lot of, of buzz and a lot of talk. Uh, just every, every episode sort of builds upon the next one. A uh, 10-part documentary series, The Last Dance. And we're coming up to episode seven, which is uh, going to happen on Sunday night. And that's really the one where they get into the whole Michael Jordan abruptly retires and goes to uh, – you know, the White Sox and says, I want to play baseball and, and spends a season playing double A baseball for the Birmingham Barons. And lo and behold, the manager of the Birmingham Barons is uh, Terry Francona. And so uh, Saturday, uh, Sunday night, uh, you know, set your clocks for 9 p.m. because uh, Tito is going to get his 15 minutes of fame there uh, on, on the last dance. Uh, Doug, have, have you caught any of these episodes? Have you, you know, just been been watching and been listening to the reaction to some of these episodes and just what a what a, a cultural phenomenon Jordan was still is and and sort of will be for you know the the foreseeable future moving forward yeah so I've watched every episode um, because I actually covered the Bulls um, during that last Jordan run um, in my first job out of college um, I covered the the fifth finals team I took over the beat in the middle of that season so I covered like the flu game in Utah and that kind of thing and then I covered where where were you working I was working in a suburban Chicago paper called the the Times of Northwest Indiana where my boss was a guy named Dave Campbell Um, who is our boss right now which is now if you guys didn't know it now you know how I got a job here so um so I was covering that, and then I actually I said when it started, I, I, my brilliant career move was I left for a new job like in in May of '98. So I did oh. not cover the last playoffs, like the final Jordan run. I covered that whole off season when it was like they're fighting, and then I covered the beginning of that season, but I didn't cover the sixth finals. Um, so I've been watching to see if my elbow has been in an episode because I was like a 23 year old ding dong who didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I was standing like in the seventh row of the mob at Jordan's locker after games, trying to stick my recorder within 20 feet of his mouth so I could hear what he was saying. I have not yet seen my elbow and I've been a little disappointed about that, (laughs) but I understood the phenomenon of Michael Jordan up close. I mean, I always tell people, 
I used to, I only covered the home games. Um, but like the TV people would leave the game, like at the end of the third quarter to go stand in the hallway outside the Bulls locker room. So they would be in a good position to be around mm-hmm. Michael's locker. Like they didn't even watch the end of the game. And like, you know, the NBA now, a lot, you know, you do stuff at podiums sometimes or whatever. It's like, there was no, you were jammed around Michael's locker and he would just wait it out. And then they'd be wave and a wave and a wave and a wave. And he, he always came out in a suit with the diamond stud earring. You never saw him, you know, in front of reporters, like in a towel or just hanging out. He was always Michael fricking Jordan. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So it's been, um, it's, been interesting to kind of relive this stuff that again I was a terrible reporter back then I'm not sure how much better I am now but just you know it's like oh I recognize that hallway I recognize that security guard oh I used to talk to Judd Bushler you know like that's my experience trying to watch this thing and then I covered Francona in Philadelphia the job I left for Mm -hmm. when I left the Bulls beat was to go cover the Phillies where Terry Francona was the manager so I wasn't there for year one of Tito but I covered Tito in Philly in years two three and four oh okay Tito got that job in Philly because he got famous being Michael Jordan's manager and like so Francona was an unbelievable is still an unbelievable storyteller but points that you know better than I do back then 20 years ago you'd go in the manager's office and hang out before a game and we would just sit in there and Terry Francona would tell tales and so we heard all the tales of what it was like (laughs) managing Michael Jordan and I think the, the the Francona that we see today that we saw in Boston and that we see in in Cleveland now the best thing he does is manage egos is, is, is balance being like friends with these guys while also still being their manager. And I think that's what we saw. He handled Michael Jordan in that situation in double a baseball. I think much better than many managers would have done because what was required then is exactly, I think what Terry Francona does best. Oh, that's a great point, Doug. That's hey. really a good point. A, it does not surprise me that you were off to the side interviewing Judd Bushler. That 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 doesn't shock me one bit. Judd was uh, my guy. <laughs> he's the guy that I can definitely picture you off in the corner pumping for information about what's really going on in the uh, in the in the Bulls locker room. Uh, B, um, I have been just the last couple of, of episodes and uh, watching just to see because Hoinsey said that he was at the retirement, the first retirement press conference. So I've been trying to pick out Hoinsey's head yeah. in the crowd uh, from that 93 press conference. Uh, so now I, I didn't realize that you were there early on. I'm going to have to go back and look at the earlier episodes to see if I can uh, catch a glimpse of Doug. Sort of like when, uh, when we were uh, watching the, the Browns uh, hard knocks to, to see, you know, shots of, of you and, uh, you know, getting up in Hugh Jackson's face and, and whatnot. Uh, uh, and, you know, Mary Kay and Dan were also in that. But uh, that's my career path from Michael Jordan to Hugh Jackson. Jackson. I'll tell you all you need to know. Well, and, you know, as you're saying all that as as like, uh, you know, taking yourself back to being a young reporter following Jordan uh, through the home games, I, I, you know, I was very similar with with LeBron here. It's a lot of what you were just saying sounded like, you know, covering LeBron and his second trip through through Cleveland and through those finals runs. I was split in time between the Indians uh, beat and, and also doing the, the Cavs playoff runs at that time, uh, you know, going to all the home games in, in, in Cleveland. And like you said, waiting for, for LeBron to come out after a game, very similar to that, that Jordan situation where the, the media crushes around his locker. Only you said Jordan never came out in a towel or anything like that. Uh, after LeBron was done with his post game, you know, rituals and conditioning and all that 
you know, his icing uh, procedures and whatnot, he'd come out and get dressed right in front of you, and you had to wait until he was completely ready to then you turn the cameras on and you were talking to him. So uh, a little bit of a difference there, but but sort of the same. Uh, uh, Hoinsey, you've heard a bunch of these these Jordan stories from from Tito. Uh, the the best parts of, of sometimes covering his pregame press conferences are when he says, hey, turn the camera off. And, uh, and you know, you get to go from, uh, you know, formal interview to getting into these stories. And he, he, is, he is just a great storyteller. Yeah, he really is. He's fun. He's, uh, you know, he, and he captures it. The one, the, you know, that you guys have heard, the one where he's playing a pickup game with Jordan mm-hmm. back in, in uh, Birmingham after a game. And him, Jordan, and a couple of coaches are on this one team. And, and you know some other kids from the neighborhood were on the other team, and what, this one huge guy, I guess, from the other is giving Jordan a hard time. You know he's muscling him around and and trying to back him down and stuff. And finally, you know Jordan had had enough, and and uh, he 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 goes to the top of the key and he's just standing there at the top of the key and points right at the guy and he goes, "I'm going right there." And 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 Francona said he came over to set a pick on the guy, and and Jordan just goes, "Get out of the way!" <laughs> he said he just took off, slammed like slammed it, made a slam, a slam dunk, and and you know shook the rim, the rim bent, and he he landed and he's standing over the guy just looking at him, and then Francona goes, "I think we better leave." <laughs> I, uh, circulating around on Twitter, I've seen a, a video of him playing in the Arizona Fall League later on that year. And apparently, you know, he progressed from, you know, not being able to hit a curveball at the beginning of the season to, you know, making himself into a, a passable enough hitter. Uh, there's video out there of uh, Tito mic'd up and coaching third base in the Fall League, and Jordan hits a triple. And you, you hear, you know, Tito coaching him around the bases and he slides and he gets up and Tito tells him, hey, you know, watch yourself. I'm mic'd up. So don't, you know, don't say anything out of, out of turn or whatever. But he's, he's, Tito's calling him homie and, you know, saying, nice, nice hit, homie. Way to go. And it's, it's, it's just – and Tito looks like he's, a, a, you know, obviously looks about, you know, 25 years younger at the time. So uh, it, it's just really neat to, to see that old video and, and, and sort of re- relive some of this stuff and, and remember it. Uh, for me, the, the, when they're showing the commercials of the old shoes, I, I actually had the, the Wilson MVP Jordan basketball. Uh, the, it's a, like a black leather indoor-outdoor basketball. And I saw that, and it was immediately that took me back to like being 10 years old and pounding that ball on the, on the concrete at my parents' house, you know, in the backyard. Uh, I, I just – this whole series has been really phenomenal to watch and, and sort of relive. I, I, I admit, yeah. yeah. It's funny to think about Tito back then because, as you guys know, like Tito was a great athlete. I mean, Tito's a, a first-round draft pick. Tito could yeah. rake before his knee injuries. Like, it's funny to think when you're telling that st- retelling that story, Hoinsey, of like Terry Francona playing pickup basketball <laughs> yeah. with Michael Jordan. It's like you're envisioning this Terry Francona yeah, yeah, right. who's yeah. driving around on his cart or whatever. Like, that back then, he was so young when he got into managing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, young Tito on, the, on a pickup court, I bet you. I bet you Tito could play a little bit. His knees were shot, but I bet you he could get out there with Michael Jordan and look a lot better than we would have. Yeah, I was reading somewhere where they were playing a, a pickup game and and uh, they're getting uh, he's playing with Jordan and 
I don't know if you guys probably read this too, but he he took the last shot and missed. Tito took the last shot and missed, and, and Jordan was mad. Jordan was, you know, yelling at him. He goes, hey, I always take the last shot. And he wouldn't let it go, you know. And he goes, I always take the last shot, you know. And they're going back and forth. And and, probably, and finally, Frank Coney goes, hey, Michael, it's just like you trying to hit a curveball. And he said, and Jordan fell down laughing on the court. <laughs> I mean, really, Tito, Tito has that in him. And I, and I just wonder, and you've heard more stories than I do, but, like, you know, Tito's in Boston with Manny Ramirez and like all the egos and that. And it's like, whatever happened there, it's like, Hey, listen, man, I managed Michael Jordan. Yeah. Whatever you think you are, how good you are. I managed the greatest, most famous athlete of our generation. So like I can handle whatever you can bring to me. Yeah. That's, you know, David Ortiz, Dustin Pedroia, those guys that they've, they've got nothing. They've got nothing to say to, to, to Terry Francona at any time when, when he can just throw out the, the Jordan card there. Well, great. Uh, you know, we're looking for, I'm, uh, it is appointment television every Sunday night for the next uh, couple weeks here. It's really sort of gotten me through, uh, the, the crisis and the pandemic, uh, on a weekly basis, just looking forward to, to seeing new episodes, uh, Sunday night at nine o'clock on ESPN episode seven of the last dance. Um, Fellas, this was this was great. Uh, you know, we we covered uh, a, a lot of important stuff here. Uh, apparently, we're we're going back to work, and you know, and, until we get there, we we get to relive uh, Jordan and Tito and all sorts of good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss doing daily podcasts. That's once once we get back to the grind. I don't think we're gonna be doing daily. Uh, Why not podcast? Oh God, I don't think we could sustain this. This has, been unprecedented. this has been That's unprecedented. Right. We, we've gotten, you know, we've gotten to talk to most of the guys, uh, you know, a lot of the guys on the roster and some coaches too. So it's been a lot of fun. There's always time for talking, Noga. You guys can squeeze it in. People, talking is easier get, than writing. Oh, that's what I always say. It's like, oh, can you do it? It's like, yes. Don't ask me to write anything, but God, I can talk all day. People are getting addicted to you guys. I'm not sure they're going to want to give up the daily. Oh, my God. You might have to do it. Sorry. Yeah, well, we'll see. Well, the, these are, as, as with the proposals from Major League Baseball, these are decisions that have not yet been made. But uh, one decision that has been made is we'll be back tomorrow with uh, the last edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast for this week. Doug, thanks again for stepping in. Thanks, and, Doug. And talking to us. It was great to, to hear. I, I did not know that, that you were that close to, to, to Jordan and, and to greatness. Uh, that many years ago, I, I, I don't know what happened to you, but uh, you know, it's it's just been a pleasure to to talk to you. Always look forward to it. And, uh, I, and I will tell you this: I'll add this. Then, like the first time I met LeBron as a journalist, <laughs> I was at uh, an, an Elite Eight game in Detroit when Steph Curry and Davidson were there. I was covering the NCAA basketball tournament, and LeBron came to watch the game. And I was like, well, I've got to go talk to LeBron about being here to watch Steph Curry. And I walked over and I introduced myself, and he looked at my press pass and he said. If you work for the plane dealer, how come I don't know who you are? <laughs> and I, I was like, this is my journalistic life in a nutshell. But then he, then he did talk to me, so it was okay. That's, uh, that's, a, that, that's a great arc right there is to, to go. Wow. He, he didn't recognize you from the, uh, the plane dealer. Well, 
Well, you were down in Columbus the whole time, right? Yeah. You were, you but he's were, an Ohio State fan. I'm like, LeBron, yeah. you're not reading my Buckeye stories? What are you doing here? I thought he I, wanted to go to Ohio State, yeah, right? I don't know, man. So, anyway. <laughs> that had to be a dagger. Wow. That's – oh. All right, Doug. I'm used to it. It, I'm, it. This was not the first nor the last time that someone had no idea who the heck I was. <laughs> All right, fellas. We'll, uh, we'll catch up again. Uh, we'll do this again uh, maybe before we go back to uh, the daily grind with uh, regular baseball. But, uh, Doug, good to talk to you. Hoinsey, great to catch up. And we'll talk to you tomorrow again on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Good deal. We'll see you, Doug. See you, Joe.